Well, we've been going through the Sermon of the Mount, and we are coming towards the end of it with today and, Lord willing, next week's sermon to close them out. And we have been seeing from the Beatitudes to the Similitudes to the other portions of this section, as Jesus is teaching on the Mount, he is teaching the disciples about, number one, that impossible standard of perfection that he has for each and every one of us and how we can only even come close to it through his grace and through a relationship with him. He's checked our hearts, and he's, he's checked our relationship with God the Father through him, and he's bringing us closer to himself. And we've been talking about how as you spend time with the Lord, he will continue to change you and mold you and shape you. And ultimately, what that does is it affects the relationships around you, which we're going to see today in this portion of Scripture. And we want to make sure that as we're seeking him out and we're spending time with him, that when we deal with others and our relationships with others, we have a right understanding of what that means. So let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to read verses 1 through 6 this morning to start off chapter 7. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. And as we seek you out this morning, we spend time in your word and in worship, Lord. We pray that you would be molding and changing and shaping us, Lord. And that as we go into the world and we deal with others and in our relationships, Lord, you would teach us what that means and how to do it correctly in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read verses 1 through 6 together, chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Well, I'm sure you've heard this before. I know I have. You know, don't judge me, bro. You can't judge me. Don't judge me. And so we're going to see in this portion of Scripture this morning, several verses that are wildly taken out of context. They're taken out of context all the time. And I would say for most non-believers, this is the only verse that they know, or they think that they know. Because they will use this verse as, you can't come to me, you can't tell me what to do, you can't judge me. And is that what it means, and is that what the Lord is talking about? First and foremost, as disciples of Christ, as followers of Him, we must know that we do not answer to other people, and they do not answer to us. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We are accountable to God. And the people we interact with, they are also accountable to who? Not to us, to God. And we never know the whole story the way that God knows. He knows what's going on in a person's life. He knows their details. He knows their intentions and their thoughts. There is a saying I use all the time, and I use it all the time because it's true. We judge everyone else by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. And oftentimes we go around making judgments about people's actions without even knowing the whole story. But is that what God is talking about here, what the non-believer believes, that we can't judge anyone ever? No. That's not what the Scripture's talking about here. If you want to remember anything, remember this. Unconditional love does not mean unconditional approval. Unconditional love does not mean unconditional approval. 
And that's what people are using this verse to mean. My way's okay, your way's okay, just let us do anything that we want. If it makes us feel good, if it makes us happy, then that's something good. That is not true. It doesn't hold water, and it doesn't pass the test. What do you mean by that, or what illustration can we use? You know, if you have a son or you have someone close in your life that is addicted to methamphetamine, it makes them feel good. They desire it. They're seeking after it. We don't say, oh, we can't judge him. That's just how he wants to live his life. That's not unconditional love. Unconditional love is now going to bring conflict. We are going to engage in a confrontation. Why? Because we know it is killing them. It is destroying them. It is rotting them away. And so we see unconditional love does not equal unconditional approval. And to illustrate this and to show us this, God is going to use an illustration here. But before we do, we want to have Scripture interpret Scripture. The Lord tells us that we are to be discerning. The difference between hypocritical judgment, using standards on other people we don't have for ourselves, and using His righteous standard to be discerning more specifically with ourselves. See, in, first, in Philippians, excuse me, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, when Paul is speaking there, he, he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. We'll pause there, and we, we want to see that love and knowledge are attached to discernment. You, you have to have them together. And then in verse 10, he says that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So our love and our knowledge is engaged in discernment, and discernment is different than this judgment that he's speaking of. Remember the context in which he's sharing this sermon. He's told us not to be religious hypocrites like the Pharisees. He's told us not to be secular hypocrites going after money and things that are material. He's telling us over and over again that we're to have hearts for God and for His kingdom and that it will radically change our lives and that that life will have an effect on the world through Him. And it's in that context that we see that we're not to be hypocrites. We're not to have a different judgment on others than we are to ourselves. But we're going to see next week, Lord willing, if we get through this sermon, in verses 15 and 16, that Jesus is going to tell us to judge each other and ourselves by the fruit of our life, by our spiritual work, the things that are happening in us. And so, again, we're seeing over and over again that this verse is just taken too many times out of context. Judge not lest you be judged means that we're not to be hypocrites using different standards for other people. Now, the illustration that he's talking about here explains it, and it's pretty comical. He says... If you have a two-by-four in your eye, that's what he means by a beam in your eye. If you have a two-by-four sticking out of your face, and you're, this is my YouTube video brain, you know. I see this guy trying to walk around with that thing, trying to put his shirt on in the morning. You know, there's a video of uh, a husband and wife on the couch, and they're, they're, they're having a bit of an argument. The title of the videos is not about the nail, because she has a nail coming out of her forehead. And that's what I envision here. It's worth it. Look it up. (laughs) 
And so the guy's walking around with this giant beam, and then he notices that somebody next to him has like a little piece of sawdust in there. Maybe the eyes are a little red, and he wants to try and get that thing out of their eye instead of what? Maybe dealing with the massive two-by-four coming out of your face? You know, this is something that you need to work on. And so in Jesus' illustration, he's saying we need to be focused on ourselves first and what's happening in our lives and the things that need to be fixed in us. In James chapter 1, verses 23 and 25, it says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. So this self-examination is very important for us not to be the hypocrite that he's talking about. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be the person looking for the speck in other people's eyes when you have a giant beam in yours. Don't go around judging others with your own self-righteous judgment. You should be using his judgment and his discernment. Don't be a hypocrite has been an important part of this entire sermon. But I want to reiterate to you that unconditional love is not unconditional approval. And then finally, I want to point out that when we're talking about other people, every single one of us knows someone that has some kind of character flaw, some kind of psychological or social issue, something that just is really annoying to everyone, but everyone knows it except for that person. You know, I think about myself, you know, there's a lot of people that say, you know, maybe I should smile a little bit more, and then people wouldn't think I'm so angry all the time. First service, they were all nodding their heads. I'm like, gosh, (laughs) chill. But then I pointed out, yeah, it's easy to pick on me in that one, but do we have something that's going on? Maybe you're that person that has that issue, the, the beam in your own eye, and you're ambivalent. You don't even know that it's there. Well, here we're told that we're to have to, we are to have this introspection, this self-reflection, this time in the mirror. But what is this mirror? This mirror is time and presence of God in the Word of God, and in prayer, seeking after Him. And He'll reveal these things. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that the Word of God reveals the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And as we spend time with God, we do not leave unchanged. Let Him do that work. Ultimately, how good of a surgeon are you going to be if you have a beam in your eye and you're trying to take a speck out of somebody else's? You're going to be terrible. But the Lord is perfect at balancing this. But then finally, he says something here that seems completely out of context, another illustration. He says, don't cast your pearls before swine. And if you're like me, I'm kind of a negative person, kind of uh, looking at the glasses kind of half empty. It's like, that's kind of mean. Like, why are we rejecting the, 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 uh, the swine here, the pigs? Like, why, why are we not supposed to help them? Aren't we supposed to save everybody? And again, we're, we're not using the proper context here. They don't want it. They want to reject it. Not only do they want to reject it, they want to hurt the person that is giving it. And we're using the wrong judgment. And we shouldn't be going out and forcing ourselves on people. We all have somebody in our life or maybe a season in our life 
where we had someone where we're trying to share the gospel with and we're leaving tracks on their pillow and we're sending them all the links to the movies and they're sending them the DVD of the one that really touched us and then we're going to buy them a hand-engraved signed Bible and we're going to send it to them and we're just over and over again, we're just putting all this emotional and intellectual energy into trying to save this one person and they get angrier and angrier and the gap between you and your relationship continues to grow and the Lord says, just stop. Just stop. But that doesn't seem right. Like, what should we do? Well, he's going to tell us here in a little bit. There are people that are seeking and are hungry, and they want to have this relationship with the Lord. And we should be investing in them and spending time in them. That doesn't mean give up on them, but their nature for those that are against the gospel is to try and destroy you and to stop you and to resist you. And remember, How are we going to know? How are we going to know what is discernment and judgment? How are we going to know what is love, unconditional love, or unconditional approval? How are we going to discern these things and and make the right choices? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But it all comes from a place of having a heart for Him, closeness with Him, and a relationship with Him. And with that being said, he's going to continue here in verses 7 through 11 as he connects these things. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask of you? Well, first and foremost, notice verse 6 and verse 7, they're sandwiched together. There's no break there. Like They're together. So earlier we said, that's kind of mean to not even try and go after the swine. You know, why why aren't we trying to give them the pearls? Like, why aren't we trying to get them out and help them and change their nature? Because there are people that are seeking and searching and hungry. And He is there. He's ever-present. He is ready to go. We are to be seeking after God. Spending time in prayer. Spending time in the Word. And we're going to use a couple of uh, examples from Scripture about what this means, because it's for every human being on the face of the planet. Remember, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, although some choose condemnation, those swine, but to save the world. He's willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's ever-present. He will not say no if they ask. But, unfortunately, too many people, they apply these Scriptures as if it's some kind of business transaction. They come to God, and they say, I'm seeking, I'm finding, I'm knocking. Where's my end of the deal? I've been good. I'm showing up to church. I'm trying to be a good person. I should be materially blessed. I should be blessed with physical health. If you love me and I'm doing these things, then I should receive this. Nothing could be further from the truth. Our perfect example is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus was perfect without sin, never got angry in the wrong way. He never lied, never stole. He was perfect, and yet he was rejected. 
rejected in his family. He was poor. He wasn't, had nowhere to lay his head. He was betrayed. He was beaten and assaulted. The government was against him. His own religion was against him. His own family thought he was crazy and insane. And he was perfect. This is a part of the human condition. And when we come to God... And we think, number one, we have this judgment standard, this righteous standard that everyone needs to live to. And then number two, that our relationship with God is some kind of business transaction that he somehow owes us. And we're not seeing the scripture that tells us that we should be seeking him. The flip side of this is that some of us think that we're not worthy. We can't come to him at all. We shouldn't be seeking because we've been messing up. We've been sinning. We're a hypocrite. We're fallen. And that's not true either. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 29... Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He prophesied that the Babylonians were going to come and destroy Israel, destroy Jerusalem. And then it happened. And he's weeping over Jerusalem. He's so, he's so sad and sorrowful. And it's in this moment that you would say, God has rejected them. It is over. They messed up. They got what they deserved. It's over. But what does he write in Jeremiah 29, 13? He says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And we know this is speaking about the nation of Israel in its context, but it can be applied to us that when we're in the moment we think God's rejected us or he's cast us off or we've messed up, those are the times he wants us to seek him, to draw near to him. See, when we're in those moments, those dark moments, we want to hide from God. Don't worry. That's the human condition. Adam and Eve did the same thing in the garden. What did they do when they sinned? They covered themselves up and they hid behind a bush. Maybe you're in that place right now. Seek him. Knock. Pursue him. Ask for him. He will be there. And you will receive. How about to the Gentiles? And fast forward to the first century in Acts chapter 17. Paul, he's in Thessalonica, and he's seeing all these false gods, these idols everywhere. He sees one that's marked to the unknown God, and he goes to the auditorium or the area where all the philosophers like to gather in the middle of the day, and they ask him, they're intrigued about this, quote, new religion from the East. He speaks to them, and as he's speaking to them, he's speaking about every human being, not just Israel, Gentiles, everyone. And he says in verses 27 through 28, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. And so he's, he's speaking to them. And so we have ancient Israel, we have the Gentiles, and then we have Jesus himself who's speaking to all of creation. He's speaking through time and eternity, even though he's speaking to the disciples on that mount. He's speaking to us, and he says, Seek after God. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and it will be open for you. And everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. But, what does he say here? He uses another illustration. He says, but if you being evil, that's my favorite part of this whole section. In some translations, for you being sinners, for you being broken, evil sinners, don't you know how to give your children good gifts? how much more so your Father in heaven. Why is that my favorite part? Because it brings me back to reality of knowing who I am and knowing that I bring nothing to this deal. 
There, there is no negotiation between me and God. I come empty-handed. I'm willing to receive whatever you want. Tell me there's a beam in my eye. Tell me I'm asking for the wrong things. Tell me that my judgment is off. Tell me those things that are empty and broken inside of me and heal me, Lord. You see, that's the other part about this section that we don't like. We don't like his answers. Sometimes his answer is no. Sometimes his answer is wait. Or a little bit of a joke, you know, sometimes it's ask me later. But he is sovereign and he is in control and his answers are the correct answers. The problem is when we don't get the answer we like, we start to question it. Now keep on seeking and keep on asking and then receive the answer he has for us. It is the right one. I find it fascinating that it is so often that man thinks he is the judge of God, the ultimate authority. You know, I believe in this God or that God, or I think that God's like this, or I don't believe in God at all. And somehow we think that we are the ones that are in charge and are the ones that give discernment. No, we're not. We're not. The Bible says in Psalm 2 that he sits in the heavens and laughs at the plans of man because he is the king and he will give us the correct answer that he wants. But because of his love for all creation and because of who he is, he is always available, he is always present, and he wants to speak to you. Your prayer closet is never empty. He is always there. You may not be in there, but he is. And you can ask him and seek him and receive from him anytime. It may not be the gift you want, but it's the gift you need. It may not be the answer you're seeking for, but it's the answer you need. Spend time with him and ask and ask. Now, we're going to spend some time in verse 12, but you can't understand verse 12 unless you understand the rest of everything we just talked about, unless you understand the context of the Sermon of the Mount, unless you're tying this all together, because verse 12 is also wildly taken out of context. What does it say in verse 12? Therefore, whatever you want men to do, do also to them, for this is the law and the pro. This is the law and the prophets. This is what's called the golden rule. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. We have them memorized in nursery and kindergarten. We have it memorized at young kids. Super easy, very easy to be understood, except none of us understand it the correct way. Except we don't, we don't apply it correctly. So what do we think? We think we should be nice to others. We should behave, sit up straight, don't be rude, be polite. Don't bite the other kids in class. You don't want them to bite you. But what he's talking about here in its context, it's not about good behavior. It's not about keeping the rules. This is about a deep and personal relationship with your creator and what he's doing inside of you. In fact, we haven't had one sermon yet without my friend Michael P. Green, the guy I've never met and just found his commentary for this book, Matthew. And when I read this, I mean, it stunned me to silence. It was perfect. I had wanted to share it with you. He says, you can legislate against people doing to others what they would not want done to themselves. That is one of the ways of making a fair society. But you can never legislate to bring about what Jesus is teaching, that your generous attitude of going out of your way to encourage the depressed, to forgive those who have wronged you, and to help the disadvantaged, requires positive action, often self-sacrificial action. And you don't do that to fulfill some law. You do it only if the love of the kingdom burns in your heart. 
It is one thing to say, I must not harm my fellows. It is quite another to say, I must go out of my way to help them. The first could be fulfilled by inaction. The second only by self-sacrificial love, the very thing that God evidenced in bringing people into his kingdom in the first place. And now suddenly the golden rule has so much depth. Not just teaching your kids not to bite. Which, listen, your kids shouldn't bite, okay? But neither should we. But it's not a matter of the things that we just shouldn't do. It's the things that we should be doing or will be doing as we grow in our personal relationship with Christ. Everything that Mike is talking about here in this section is in the context of the entire Sermon of the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. The similitudes. And the sections of scriptures now, not to be judging others with a self-righteous standard, but to be discerning with unconditional love. What is Jesus going to teach us? To turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile, to bless those that despitefully use you and curse you. You can't do that. But remember, we're reminded earlier, yet you being evil, yet you being sinners, and it's refreshing, like, yes. No, I can't do any of this. But as I'm pursuing God and I'm growing in my relationship and I'm receiving from His Word and the Spirit is moving inside of me and I'm being changed, as I ask God, He will continue to mold me and shape me and change me. You see, that's that's the difference between seeking and asking for God. Because when we talk about casting our pearls before swine, I, I think of an illustration in my life when I was about in middle school. This guy drove, drives up to the bus stop in a van. That's kind of weird. Pops out of his van, got a nice dress shirt on, some slacks. Comes to us and he's handing us all out tracks. And we're all laughing at him, mocking at him. The guy goes, he jumps in the van, he drives off. And I just thought, like, oh, what a waste. You know, and we're all making fun of him and laughing. Until I became a believer years later. Now I wish I could go back and talk to that guy. Man, you know, I just want to let you know you tried to do this. What changed? My relationship with God. Are, are, should we be doing that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's the difference. You see, earlier, I told you that we shouldn't judge others, but we need to be discerning. Earlier, I told us that we should be seeking after God, but we may not like the answers. Earlier, I told you that we should not be pursuing some people in evangelism, and we should in others. You see, the church, oftentimes, they become this organization that's going to go out there and pass out the flyers and do good marketing and entertain the, the flock and bring them in here and have a popularity contest. And jokingly, we say, you know, they're selling tickets to the Sunday show. What Jesus is talking about here is having a personal, deep, intimate relationship with God and pursuing after Him. And as He's doing that, and we are all seeking Him out ourselves, He's changing us and molding us, and then it becomes something that is attractive to others. And yes, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Yes, we need to share the gospel, but how do we do any of these things that I just said? By doing what the Lord's telling us. You've got to ask Him. What's the difference between someone you shouldn't evangelize and someone you should? You've got to ask Him. It's different for everyone. What's the difference between being discerning and being judgmental? You've got to ask Him. I don't have any of these answers. 
How do I do unto others as I want them to do unto me? Because sometimes I'd punch myself in the face if I acted like that. You've got to ask God. What does it mean to have a self-sacrificial love? Watch Him. Ask Him. I don't, I don't know. But I do know in the epistle of Jude, towards the, the, the very last book of the Bible, right before the book of Revelation, it says, some you have to preach to them and you have to hate the very clothes that they, they wear as if it's being cast in the fire. He's pretty much saying, you've got to tell them judgment's coming. And then it says right after that, but others save with love. Well, how do I know which one? You've got to ask God. It's part of our personal relationship with Him as the Holy Spirit moves in us and shapes us. But then... Why are we supposed to believe Jesus in all these things? Why are we just supposed to believe what he's saying here? And what gives him the authority to do these things? Now, we know he's been sharing it throughout this entire epistle, excuse me, this entire gospel. We know that he's been teaching us this far outside of the Sermon on the Mount. And we know the entire volume of the book, the entire Bible, is telling us what he's going to say now in verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate... For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. How narrow is the way? It is a man-sized door. Jesus Christ, He is the way. We come through Him and by Him alone. Now, there are many out there who criticize, why are there not more ways? Why can't it be your way and our way? How come every, we can't just do whatever works for us? How come we just can't use all the different religions? They all lead to the same destination. All religions lead to the same destination, hell, except for a personal relationship with God. Gosh, that's mean. I don't make the rules. God is sovereign. But I know the more I understand human nature, the more I know that we are evil, the more that I know our sin the more that I know how broken I am and how we all are, I find it more amazing that there is any way, much less one way. And I'm so grateful. Jesus makes it very clear because he's not some teacher, he's not some guru, he's not some faith healer or just some magician or some kind of superhuman person. He is God in the flesh revealed to us, and he tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And remember, as he's teaching us these things to his disciples, he said, yet you being evil. Man, we're so broken, and yet we have a Savior. Someone that heals us and touches us. He wants us to seek him out. He's always present. He's always available. It's the love of God that leads man to repentance, not his judgment. And we are saved by him, by Faith in Him alone, by grace alone, by faith alone. He does the work. It's not anything that we do. We don't even have to live up to these standards to be saved. We have the opportunity to be in a relationship with God because He saved us. When we were enemies with God, He loved us and gave Himself for us. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, He reminds us, how this work is done. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus is doing this work in us. And so we should be seeking him and asking him, and we should be knocking on that door, and he is ready to receive us. None should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We shouldn't be hiding from him. We should be pursuing him in whatever state we are. And he will always give us an answer. He will always speak with us. It's just not the one you want half the time. And we're learning, as we've been in the Sermon of the Mount, that the more we spend time in his presence, the more he will change us from the inside out and having an authentic, personal relationship with him. And boy, will things be crazy different around here if we all do that. How exciting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We pray that you would be doing that work in each and every one of us and that we would be pursuing you for these answers, not a a man, a teacher, not a church or a sermon, Lord, but personally connected to the living God through your Son. We pray, Lord, that we'd be growing in you, that we'd be healed by you, that you would touch us and mend us and heal us, Lord, and that we would be able to share that with others. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're available to pray with you. Uh, We'll be up front. There'll be brothers and sisters available to pray with you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.